You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what's new and innovative in education. Last week, Getting Smart partnered on the first ever Mastery Communications Week with Springpoint, Mastery Collaborative, Next Generation Learning Challenges, KnowledgeWorks, and Great Schools Partnership to support a week of digital sharing and online collaboration focused on school and district-level communications planning for mastery, also known as Competency-Based Education, or CBE. Each day, education leaders from across the country shared their knowledge in a specific area of mastery communication to help other practitioners develop their own communication strategies. So I thought it might be helpful to ask a few experts exactly what competency-based education is and why it's important enough to garner an entire week of attention. I'm lucky enough to work with Tom Vander Ark right here in the Getting Smart office, so I asked him to chat with me to explain a little more about CBE. So, Tom, what is competency-based education? Well, it's part of a a global movement to uh, show-what-you-know economy where old signals of uh, competence like diplomas are uh, becoming less valuable and more authentic real ways of demonstrating what you know are becoming more and more important. When schools talk about competency-based education, I think of it in uh, two ways, show what you know and progress based on mastery. So instead of getting a year older and moving up to a new grade, students move at their own pace. And that may mean a different pace in literacy than it does in numeracy. Now, some networks that have been around for more than 20 years, like Expeditionary Learning and Big Picture, High Tech High, New Tech High, these are all really good at the show what you know part of this definition where students periodically um, do exhibitions of learning, but most of them still use learning cohorts where, for the most part, students are moving together in grade levels. What we're beginning to see in, in newer blended and personalized schools is that they're, they're getting better at the progress on mastery where students are able to, uh, often using software as well as face-to-face instruction, move as they demonstrate uh, proficiency. So let's talk about uh, a couple of regional examples and we'll get some nomenclature straight along the way. In New England, they call this proficiency-based learning. Uh, The leading nonprofit is called Great Schools Partnership and they have developed a network of high schools that are working on proficiency-based diplomas. Um, The five states in New England all recognize uh, proficiency-based diplomas, and Great Schools Partnership developed a network of 75 colleges and universities that accept proficiency-based diplomas. This is the best example of a regional partnership moving high schools, legislatures, and, and colleges all in unison. And we think there's great opportunity for many more regional examples like that. In Idaho, there's a a great example of a a network of competency-based schools, but they call it mastery-based learning. And I I was recently in uh, Grand Junction, Colorado, and Mesa County Schools, District 51, and there they call it uh, performance-based learning. But they're Uh, They're all basically uh, versions of competency where students show what they know and progress on mastery. Well, let's talk about that. So there is, so you said there's proficiency-based and competency-based and mastery-based. These are all the same thing, though. 
They're, they're all basically the same. Our friends at uh, Competency Works have settled on competency-based education uh, or, or hashtag CBE uh, as, the, as the definition, and that's probably uh, most commonly used, but uh, proficiency-based or mastery-based or performance-based are, uh, are all basically the same thing, but it's always good to ask people what they mean uh, if they're using a different term. Okay, so tell me, how do students show proficiency then? Like, what is that? How do you show? Because like, if it's not a grade anymore, like we're used to in school, how do you show that you're proficient in something? And then how is it determined that you actually are? So this is a great question. Um, with uh, state standards uh, has, has come the, the movement of uh, standards-based grading. And we're seeing... Um, thousands of schools move away from simple letter grades to standards-based grading, where students receive uh, often a one through four score, uh, which would mean um, approaching a standard or having achieved a standard or exceeded a a standard. And um, many student report cards now uh, detail this sort of information about the extent to which they have uh, mastered specific standards. So that that's the first step is um, grading on um, standards mastery. Now, the, there's a question about what kinds of assessments to use in determining whether students have, uh, have achieved mastery. We recently wrote a review of Mastery Track. This is Scott Ellis's new spin-out from the Learning Accelerator. Mm-hmm. And Scott suggests using this external periodic assessment to determine in a very consistent way whether a student has achieved mastery. Our friends at New Classrooms do the the same sort of thing. They use an external daily assessment to, to measure student progress. We think it's useful to use multiple forms of assessment. So that might include uh, performance tasks used in uh, the classroom on a periodic basis. It might include um, looking at an adaptive assessment to an online adaptive tool like iReady or uh, the MAP assessment or or Dreambox results. Uh, But we also think it's useful to incorporate projects uh, that result in a public product often presented uh, in an ex, uh, exhibition. And so we, we like the idea of combining many forms of assessment to inform the, the teacher's decision about uh, the achievement of, of mastery of a particular set of standards. One problem that that creates is that it's still very difficult to combine all these formative assessment tools. And that's why we're also working uh, with Project Unicorn on interoperability because we we want it to be easier for teachers to combine assessments from many different sources. So we'd recommend um, uh, daily classroom assessments as well as sort of longer uh, periodic assessments uh, as well as these on-demand challenges like uh, mastery track or an adaptive assessment and using information from as many sources as we can to inform Uh, these decisions about mastery. So, okay, from what you've said, because I was just thinking, why aren't all schools doing this then? Why aren't they all, you know, changing over to this model? But it sounds like it's hard to do. Is that one of the reasons why? Well, um, 
So it's it's uh, it's technically difficult these days. We think that will get easier, but it's also the most profound shift that we could make to school. It really does change everything about how we do school. It changes if kids are moving at different rates in English and math and science. Uh, then we can't really keep them in the same room with the same teacher and the same cohort of kids for five years. So it changes how we structure school. It changes how we staff school. It changes the schedule of school. Uh, it will even change how we need to fund schools uh, if, if students are moving at different rates. And if some, what, what it'll point out is that some students just need more time and support than they're currently getting uh, to help them make um, adequate progress. So fully implemented, it really changes everything about uh, school. How would you communicate that message to parents in the community? Because it sounds like it's a good thing to do, but at the same time, it's, it would need a lot of support. I mean, how would you even get that started? Yeah, it it does. Uh, this is it is radical change, and it uh, it's best implemented in chunks. And uh, I mentioned being in District Fifty One in Colorado uh, recently. That's a great example of a district that's taken a couple of years to lay the groundwork and started with culture first, and and is getting better at standards based grading, and now they're implementing uh, steps to personalize learning. That's a good example of working in phases, um, building a set of temporary agreements with your community about what's going to be different and better about school uh, year by year, rather than springing a, a big change on everyone. But for schools that haven't started uh, down this path, um, we we think starting with conversations about personalized learning is a great place to start. Um, getting better at standards-based grading and uh, making sure that teachers have a, a standards-based uh, gradebook that is uh, easy to use and uh, easy for parents to understand. And we, we think starting there is, uh, is a great place. So, Tom, if um, competency-based education, or CBE as we're going to call it in this podcast, is done well, what should it do? Well, it should help all students achieve at higher levels. So it should help high-achieving students uh, go farther faster. It should help students that need more help uh, to get more help. And it will help students with learning differences, and that's at least a third of them, to have more voice and choice in their path and their demonstrations of learning. Great. So what should you watch out for then? Well, I, I think there's a, a couple of things to watch out for. One is we, we have to uh, be careful not to just use um, very simple or thin assessments to determine mastery. We think it's important to use multiple forms of assessment, including uh, periodic public exhibitions of learning. Mm-hmm. And, and then uh, pacing is a bit of a challenge. So uh, on, I'll talk about the two aspects. One is for students that are lagging behind uh, many of their age cohorts, uh, we need to, to give them supports and incentives uh, to make good progress so that we don't reintroduce inequities uh, into our school by just accommodating uh, students that are, are working slower for whatever reason. And then on the other side, we want to avoid racing, um, creating standards that are just simple checklists and 
and having students fly through material uh, and missing the sort of depth that they would really benefit from. Uh, so we don't want kids moving too slow and we don't want students moving uh, too fast and missing out on the opportunities to go deep. So systems need to be really thoughtful about uh, pacing and supports for all students. Tom mentions Competency Works, specifically Chris Sturgis, as the guru in this field. So I figured I'd call Chris and see if she would add her expertise into the mix on this subject. To begin, I asked her to tell me more about Mastery Week and the reasoning behind focusing on it for an entire week. Mastery Week is a collaborative process that was started with Springpoint and the Mastery Collaborative in New York City, Great Schools Partnership, and a lot of other folks, Next Generation Learning Challenge. And it is just the spirit of this effort that this type of collaboration uh, started. Mm -hmm. The reason to focus on mastery-based learning or competency-based education, whatever you want to call it, uh, for a whole week is that these are big ideas and these are important and big changes. Mm -hmm. And it takes time to learn about them. And so giving people permission to just read five different articles, listen into the, you know, participate in the Twitter chat, listen into podcasts and take some time because you have to shake out the old paradigm of the traditional system and you have to begin to weave in the new paradigm. And those are really beliefs, very different sets of beliefs that undergird the traditional system from the competency-based system. No, that's interesting. You said, um, you mentioned the Twitter chat, which I followed along with. Was there anything that came out of the Twitter chat that you were surprised by or that you think other people should definitely know was mentioned? Uh, the Twitter chat was interesting. We had a lot of leading folks who've th thought deeply about these things. And the, the purpose of the Twitter chat was to really explore um, how equity and intersects with mastery-based learning. Okay. And when we talk about equity, we're talking about different groups of historically underserved kids. And we're really talking much more than about just historically underserved. What we're really trying to do Again, shaking out the old way of thinking of ranking and sorting students and really beginning to always seek to uncover the potential in every student, right. to really see every student as a full individual. So the conversation in the Twitter chat was interesting in that there's a lot about student agency mm. and what it requires to help really cultivate that in students because it's a combination of intentional coaching strategies it's a combination of creating opportunities within the school day and the school year for students to practice making informed choices, to build their habits of work, to really understand their own emotional responses to learning and develop techniques for handling that so it doesn't get in the way. There's a lot of pieces to that, and it's important. And it's, it's not that that's the only thing we want to have happen in competency-based schools. We are dedicated to students learning the academic skills at the highest, most rigorous levels, really knowing how to use the content of science and social studies and history and economics to engage and think and create ide new ideas and new knowledge. But in order to do that, they need to be lifelong learner learners. And that's where this whole set of skills around student agency are so important. So there was a lot about that. Mm. And the other topic that came up 
several times was around cultural responsiveness. And I have not made this analysis or what I call my inquiry on this at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I believe that we should take some time to look at cultural responsiveness and the um, type of personalization that's really based on child and youth development, where we really think about how to engage and motivate kids through responding to their interests, passions, and making sure that we've really got their back and are helping them learn. So then, you know, with everything you're describing here, why aren't our why aren't all schools doing this then? Like, why is it that we, I mean, schools aren't just all jumping on this opportunity and saying, let's shift to competency-based education. It's interesting. So I'm actually a believer that schools should only do it when they want to do it. No, that's good. Yeah. um, And it's not not everybody agrees with me in the field, Um, but I really personally would prefer slower conversion to competency-based education Mm-hmm. Um, done by the willing. And the reason is, is it starts with what's best for kids. And if people are doing it because the state is telling them to do it, they're never going to embrace the, the paradigm shift and let go of the old values and incorporate the new ones. Because the new ones start with commitment to kids, what's best for kids, right? It's this, mm-hmm. it's a more, some people describe it as a moral imperative. And So why aren't people doing that? Well, one, I'm not sure everybody understands it fully yet. It helps when people are able to visit. And um, the schools that are doing it well are overwrought with people coming to visit. They are, it's really, it's, it's getting in their way. We really need as a field to create some way, another way for people to understand what it looks like and how it works using our digital tools. I think another reason is, I'm sure that there are teachers and principals around the country who want to do it, but it works best when it's seen, there's a commitment from the top to it. Mm. I I don't want to say it works best, but the implementation is going to be better and sustainable. And really starting to say, believe in a growth mindset, cultivating that growth mindset, um, challenging the structures that keep some students being passed on without really learning. I mean, think how unfair that is to students and teachers. Oh yeah. It's, it's, um, I just, I always think it's a recipe for failure. And so I think the set the other thing is there's a lot of different changes going on right now in the country in education. And so schools may be focusing on performance-based assessment or they may really be doing the work around growth mindset and social emotional learning. And so they're just not there yet. I mean, we have to honor the process of learning for schools and as learning organizations. And I, I don't think it's a good idea to try to do everything all at once. I think if, if schools are building a, a really strong foundation in the growth mindset, so it's not just posters on the wall, but mm. there's real skills and strategies around it and it's being monitored, you know, how successful are they? And, if they're really building up their social emotional uh, learning capacity, if maybe they're learning about habits of work and how to use them well, um, those would all be really good foundational steps of building the culture. Mm-hmm. And maybe next year they're ready to start to do the other parts of the change. So that's interesting. You said that um, about the culture, because that was uh, my next question for you is, you know, what should schools and districts do first to begin shifting to CBE? So I think, you, I mean, you touched on it there, but it's, it's a culture thing, correct? I mean, is it something, is that like the first thing that needs to happen is shifting a culture toward that? 
So we're learning because there's new entry points being developed. Yeah. For a period of time, it was smaller districts and all using pretty much the same kind of model towards implementation. And we've written about that at Competency Works. And then we started to see kind of middle-sized districts, and they are developing slightly different strategies. And um, I'm not sure how effective they've been yet. Um, I mean, I'm being really honest about it. It's, yeah. it. it's more complicated the bigger you are. And I think District 51 is definitely one to watch. Yes. And they yes. have... Um, invested so heavily in this culture right, of learning. Right. Um, and so I think there's something to be said about if you're not ready to do the rest, you can always do that. Um, now, a growth mindset, I mean, it'll, if you start to build out a growth mindset, you're going to start, teachers are going to start getting agitated and students because all of a sudden it's the end of the year and the kids didn't learn everything mm-hmm. and you're passing them on. And that's not quite consistent, right? With this idea that it's a combination of effort, instructional support and a mindset that you can learn and the skills to the metacognitive skills to kind of manage your own learning. Um, those things all together is what, really helps kids learn. And all of a sudden at the end of the year, they don't get that extra instructional support mm-hmm. for the things they didn't learn. So people get agitated. That's good, right? That's what we want. We want people to go, Hey, wait, this wasn't really good for kids. And that's when you start to say what's best for kids. And that's when you're going to start to design the competency-based system. Excellent. So then what, when do you start doing that? I think it, um, I talked to Tom a little bit about this. It's so important that parents in the community are on board as well. Um, and understand what's going on because like you said it's really confusing I mean there's so many parts to it and it's a very confusing thing um, what do you think that parents and communities should know about CBE like what what should they know ahead of time I know that's part of mastery week is uh, talking about best practices for communicating so I mean in your experience watching schools go through this shift what do you think has worked well for them and then what has not worked well well that's interesting um, so, again, the, school, the districts that seem to kind of get the most momentum going mm-hmm. is when they do engage communities in a, in a discussion of what do you want for your children right. when they leave, graduate, you know, they leave the high school. And what we'll get is that it's more, more than college and career. There's this lifelong learning. It's, this, it's well-being, right? It's a, it's a well-developed young person. <laughs> and that then becomes the graduate profile that then starts to shape the school design. Now, none of that's specific to competency-based education, really, right? You can do that. But what you will also do in that conversation is start to look at, well, what's going to help us do that and what's getting in the way? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we're going to need to respond to students' needs more than we've done in the past. And we're going to start to, how are we going to make these changes? We're learning that it helps to take time to talk about why the traditional system gets in our way. That what we were all jumping into five years ago, oh, this is what competency-based ed is. But if you take the time to say, wait a minute, well, what about the traditional system isn't working well for us? It's not just for the historically underserved kids, right? We also, our, our teaching only at grade level curriculum is holding kids back right. from all walks of life. It is just, it is a ceiling on learning. Mm-hmm. And and it's also very focused on memorization comprehension, which is not very interesting or engaging. So 
Um, part of the shift, of course, is to these higher, you know, the higher order skills and the more rigorous learning, which is just much more fun and challenging. Right. So, so you kind of you walk people through about where we were not we weren't getting things right, and then they start to understand. Well, what do we want this school system to look like? But I think that it's more important to stay focused on the the broader concept, con, like really looking at the learning sciences. And what research tells us about um, engagement and motivation, I, if I was going to do something with parents, I would have at least some discussion about that. Mm-hmm. We know a lot more about learning and engagement and motivation than we ever did when the traditional system was developed. So we really need to kind of upgrade our thoughts about that. There's a great briefing by the students at the Center Hub on um that that very topic of engagement, motivation, and student voice, mm-hmm. which is a great piece to use as a as a discussion piece. So, being um, speaking with parents, I know that something that I've been reading as I've you know been researching this is that one of the concerns is that they don't understand how it's going to better prepare their kids for the future. They don't understand how they are going to. Um, demonstrate that they've mastered something and they don't understand how this is going to help them get into college or, you know, make that connection to higher education. So, I mean, what, how does it help? How is that something that, um, you know, will help them in the future rather than the way, I mean, when when you and I were in school, it was a grade, you got letter grades. And then if you did so well, you know, on this, then you got into college, but then you also had maybe like I had a, to take a remedial math course because I didn't take enough math in high school, blah, blah, all this other stuff. So, you know, changing that around, how are we making sure that the students are actually getting what they need to go on to college and career with this? Right. It's a good question. So um, it, it's a very good question because in some states, in most states, districts still... Um, the school boards actually set what the diploma means. Mm-hmm. Now, the state's going to set it to some degree, right? So they're going to have a, a group of state standards. But what those, how those state standards are really interpreted um, and what, you know, how we calibrate what proficiency or mastery is can o- often be a district-level uh, le- um, decision. And I think parents need to make sure Parents really need to make sure that their school boards and their superintendents and the school districts have established concepts of proficiency that are going to be aligned with if at least the local colleges and and more. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want, you want your kids to be able to compete. Right. And so um, I think that's an important step. I know in New Haven at one point, it was a very itsy bitsy step, but it was an important one as they had their AP English teachers meet with local colleges and universities who, um, the English literature teachers mm-hmm. and calibrate what it meant to be proficient at college level. Oh, and wow. so within the school, you now had a group of teachers who really understood that. Um, so those are kind of technique. That's one technique of doing that. I mean, I think how kids are better off I mean, again, there's a couple ways. So one, you want your kid to be a lifelong learner. You want them to be able to kind of go, Oh my gosh, I'm stuck. I'm really, I'm so frustrated. I'm not even trying anymore. I'm reading this piece, you know, this book and I'm not even paying attention. What am I going to do about that? Oh, I might pull out a pen and start taking notes. Maybe I'm really frustrated. Maybe I need to get up and just walk around for a second. Maybe I need help. 
like, I have no idea what this paragraph is saying. I'm right. Ask a friend, ask a teacher. Like, I am so lost, and uh, I don't even know why I'm lost. Those are all techniques of becoming lifelong learners. They're very simple, but if you don't learn them, it's really tough. Um, so we want that because that's going to be helpful both at the workplace and in college. And this idea that kids are going to be just going to college and then into the careers, that's an antiquated idea. Mm-hmm. Almost so many people are now working their way and doing college or some mix thereof. So um, it's a very small elite, I think, that are not, um, they're only going to college and then come entering the workplace. Um, second thing, the issue around demonstrating mastery. So it's a big one. We want one of the elements of uh, competency-based education is to have consistency or reliability. Right now, we can't trust the traditional schools when our students get an A or a B to know what that really means. Mm. Um, it means they're they're turning in their homework. It means they're participating. It means they're doing okay. Right. If they get a C or a D, and even if they get an A or a B, but in, if they get a C or a D, you have really no idea which skills they have or which ones they don't. Now, they're getting passed on to the next level. They're going to move on to the next grade. Mm-hmm. They still don't have those skills. And that's how we produce high school kids who can't read, right? Because they just keep getting passed on. Right. And pretty soon, no teacher is paying attention to whether they can read or not. And they, and then they totally disengage. They may keep going to school, but they're not, they can't access the curriculum very well. Right, right. Yeah, so we you, this this problem of reliability is, is, is difficult in school. And we really want to make sure we can have that. And so, you know, we mentioned the New New Haven example of calibrating and, or some people use the term moderating. And, um, but I think what's really important is there's discussion in the school among the teachers about what proficiency looks like. So the teacher down at the end of the hall, when they say that you're proficient at fourth grade level writing, that the teacher at the other end of the hall is using the same example. Yeah. The same understanding of proficiency and making sure that kids can really do it. So that right there starts to tighten up the, the organization as a learning organization and teachers start to work together. And um, what we hear is just a real jump in professional learning of teachers when they start to work in a competency-based school. And then the issue of colleges, it's interesting. So higher ed in um, colleges and universities are, many of them are creating competency-based programs. Only a few are creating an entirely competency-based institution, but they all have programs. Not all, but a lot. And there's a lot of interest. And they're doing it for different reasons than for K-12, but the concepts are pretty similar. We already know from the work of Great Schools Partnership and the New England Secondary Schools Consortium that higher ed will jump on board um, and make the proficiency pledge, which says, essentially, we are not going to harm or hold anybody who has a proficiency-based transcript to different standards and kids who are coming with a regular GPA. Oh. Um, yeah, so this proficiency pledge, they have all the New England schools, they have some of the elites. We just need to do that for the rest of the country, honestly. Right. Um, it's not, it's not a problem. They get lots of different types of um, transcripts. They just want a letter explaining how the transcript works. I also asked Chris to share a little more about what the recently held National Summit on K-12 Competency-Based Education was all about, the goal of the education leaders who met there, and what came out of this year's event. In June, 
of this, uh, of 2017, we held a national summit on K-12 competency-based education. And it was the second national summit. The first one had been in 2011. Um, at the time, we had, in 2011, we had identified pockets of innovation around competency-based education, but people weren't that aware of each other's work. Um, and certainly there was different language being used as it continues today to describe it. And so we had a summit back then and created the work five part working definition that we use today. Um, and every year we kind of touch base at competency works and we say, should we have another summit? And we're like, nope, fields expanding really well, moving forward. But about two years ago, we started to get worried about a couple of issues that we felt that we weren't getting enough traction on that they were big, um, complicated issues that took a lot of thinking and we needed all the best minds thinking about it and make sure that we were bringing together very different specialized expertise with the real practitioner expertise from doing um, the teaching um, every day. So in preparing for the summit, and really the reason we had the summit was we identified four issues that we needed to figure out how to deal with so that we can make sure that competency education is really effective for students. And those four things are first quality. What's the difference between a high quality competency-based system and those that only put together a few pieces of it? We want to have a shared vision of quality. Equity. We know, we talk about equity being at the center of competency-based education, but what does that really mean? We wanted to be very clear about what are the steps and the framework that would be needed to make sure that every student was thriving in a competency-based system. Meeting students where they are is a very important one. The districts that are able to meet students where they are seem to be able to produce greater achievement gains. And we think that getting this right and really making sure that teachers can use their professional knowledge to make sure that students are actually building the skills they need to be successful um, is a really important step. And then the fourth is policy, really beginning to imagine and create the type of policy infrastructure that's needed to sustain a dynamic competency-based system. We have to move away from the traditional way of thinking about policies and really be able to make sure that our policy policies are supporting teachers, they're building trust, they're building learning, and that they're allowing our districts and schools to do what is best for kids. So we had the summit, a lot of great ideas, really pushed our thinking, um, incredible group of people, incredible group of people. Yeah. And we're going to come up and we're going to be uh, releasing a final report that also includes some action steps we think are important for the field to make um, to keep advancing competency-based ed. And then we'll be re-releasing the papers with the changes based on their input. So it was a big step for our field um, to tackle such big issues. Um, and now what we really have to do now that we're getting some guidance about how to go forward, now the big thing is to really all work together and move in the same direction. Thanks to Tom and especially Chris Sturgis for speaking with me today. Be sure to check out the Getting Smart podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud for more episodes. And while you're there, subscribe and rate us. For more on all things innovations and learning, check out our blog as well at gettingsmart.com. For the Getting Smart podcast, this is Kat signing off.